Hello and welcome to the Greg Fearon podcast with your host Greg Fearon and today I've got the amazing, awesome Tamu Thomas back with me. It's been a long time, Tamu. It, it was pre-COVID. Oh wow. <laughs> well actually that, that time doesn't count because I don't count COVID years. It, it never existed. It's just a... It, yeah. It's just a, Say no more. Yeah. So yeah. how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I am, you know, even though we're saying no more about COVID, it's just a really weird time because we're acting normal-ish, but it's still not quote unquote normal. And should we return to normal? That's questionable. Um, so it's just a case of navigating this new space we find ourselves in and trying my best not to get caught up in anything that isn't directly my business, which may sound really selfish, but there's so much going on in the world that I could be totally distracted by being all up in and feeling lots of rage. I just don't believe that helps me to be powerful. So, yeah. Well, so see, I, I want to dive into that point, but just remind the listeners who you are and what you do, first of all, because it's been a while. Yeah. So um, who I am, as Greg said, my name is Tamu Thomas. And before I talk about what I do, who I am is somebody who is actively exploring what I need to be whole. Because, you know, and Greg, I'm sure you know this, when you are a coach or mentor, whatever title you assume in this thing, like I still feel a bit icky saying coach, but when you're doing this work, mm -hmm. you're constantly stretching and being curious about yourself. And I just thought, well, do you know what? At this moment in time, I'm really curious about who I am when I feel whole and who I am when I feel safe to be able to show up as I am instead of hiding bits and masking over bits. So at this moment in time, I feel like I'm on a pilgrimage. I'm on a pilgrimage within, but not like in a kind of navel gazing, really insular way, but in a way where I can like find out who I am, like how I can be the best of who I can be. And I don't mean, oh, I'm so positive all the time because what, you know, you have your strengths that you like to tell people about, but there's a lot of strength in the stuff that we consider to be shadowy or negative. Um, so yeah, power, actually, I said that word earlier on, that seems to be something that's really calling me at the moment. So I'm on a, on a pilgrimage to personal power, all the P's in the place. So that's, uh, a bit of who I am like, you know, like the power, like joyful power. Um, I can be quite, um, a dominant person, like powerfully dominant, like not playing that down anymore and all of that kind of jazz. So yeah. So that's that. And I am, um, I use the term coach. I am a coach and I use an integrated approach. My background is social work. So social work really underpins a lot of what I do. Um, and essentially what I do is I work with over-functioning, overworking, highly ambitious, high achieving women. Um, I work with them to begin to really fall in love with themselves, their full selves, not just the part of themselves that shows up in the workplace or in business, not just the part that's on display, not just the identity. I help them to fall in love with all of their parts so that they can learn what it is they need to live, love and work in a way that enables them to feel powerful. Um, so that's what I do. And essentially my mission 
uh, it came to me a couple of weeks ago. Like I've been experimenting with this work since I started my business in 2018, but I've realized that my mission is to help people enhance the way they live by revolutionizing the way we work because work is like the number one um, limitation or one of the like biggest limitations on how we live um, mm -hmm. because we think we live to work. Like consciously, we think we're working to live, but unconsciously, we've been conditioned to live to work. Yeah, so we neglect ourselves and abandon what we need in order to put on a front and show up as this person. Um, and it's not serving us the wheels I keep saying the wheels are falling off. The wheels have fallen off long time. So I want the wheels back on and I want us to be driving to the destination of well-being and allowing work to be part of our well-being. So there's something you said there about unconsciously thinking that we, you know, we live to work. But actually, when you when I listen to ladies I work with, work is the bit is the first thing they talk about. Yeah. Not, not even children or they are. They'll tell you what they do. Yeah. So how has that happened and how can we start to unravel that? Well, how do you help your clients unravel that? How has which, like, how's it happened or how does it, how has it happened? Oh, let's so, oh, how has it happened? Let's go deep, let's go deep. How has it happened? How has it, how happened? Has it happened? Well, if you look at um, cultural anthropo anthropology, I don't know how long ago it was, but let's just say whenever it was, maybe it was like 9,000 years ago, I can't remember. Mm -hmm. But when we began to um, be, a, when we were began to domesticate ourselves, because we learned how to um, create an ag agriculture system. So we weren't just, um, what is it, subsistence farming, yeah. we were actually uh, designating areas of land to grow food and breed animals for our consumption. When that started, um, you and, and that was over a really gradual piece of time. And then, you know, from the Industrial Revolution onwards, we've gone warp speed. But we were gradually uh, going from a uh, species that expended high amounts of energy for limited periods of time to be able to gather food and to create safety to um, a species that benefited from organized systems of work. So people working the fields, tilling the land, herding animals, etc. Um, so that's when we started to very gradually go from our natural, normal level of productivity. Because, you know, as human beings, we are naturally designed for the level of productivity we need to sustain ourselves. Once it became organized, we gradually started to go into this organized system of productivity. So that was over like thousands of years. Then comes um, the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. Um, and um, well, around the same time or just before the Industrial Revolution, I can't remember the timeline, but around the time uh, Europeans commodified, dehumanized and commodified Africans and saw what was possible when you actually overworked humans, and that led to uh, the industrial revolution and capitalism became a real thing. We then started to view ourselves like the technology we were creating to make life easier. So I think about factories and production belts, you turn the machine on, it turns out every minute it does a certain amount of functions and then you turn it off at the end of the night, if that. 
yeah. if there's any problems you just tinker around with it or you get a new one um so you will you will see if you were to track each technological advance you will see that every time we advanced technology we expected ourselves to mimic technology so rather than actually viewing technology as a means to enhance our well-being in order for us to live more and work and make work um easier for us we instead created a culture where we started to measure ourselves by the output of machines um and then that was it everything you did was valued by your output and we all became commodities the education system in the Western world, at least, and that's the education system that pretty much frames the whole world because Western culture is the dominant culture of the world. So then we, uh, um, a education system was created to create lots of factory workers to fill the factories of the, you know, top one or 5%. And we've kept that up ever since. So our education system is designed for us to be compliant people that neglect ourselves to churn out the work mm -hmm. um and then that has been inherited over generations upon generations and if you look at things like epigenetics which is how the experiences of our ancestors alters or masks the gene expression um mm -hmm. then it's encoded into our dna so even when we know better it's very difficult to, like you have to be really conscious and really mindful to do better because it feels really unsafe to go against the grain because that's been ingrained over centuries like that was encoded before you were even born yes yeah, so we've so we've grown up i've seen my parents for example work more and that was always to try and get more yeah um but that then leads to ill health and all sorts we've of created a society that fuels consumerism because our um our gdp depends on consumerism it depends on us feeling like we're not worthy so we rush out to buy all this stuff um to make us feel better when it never does so we're constantly chasing a dream which means then that we're afraid to leave jobs or work on our own terms or ask for what we need at work because we're so terrified we won't have the work we believe we need to buy the things we've been convinced we need um and what we really need is to look after ourselves but the whole system is rigged that we're not looking after ourselves so we don't feel powerful so we allow ourselves to be um influenced by others so that even when we know consciously mm -hmm this isn't healthy this isn't working unconsciously it feels so safe to even consider doing anything else we get stuck in a spiral that serves nobody other than the top few percent of the world and is that when we start proclaiming no this is enough i've got to start doing more self-care because that's what i see is when people hit that burnout level yeah so self-care yeah because because also with that with the um toxic productivity with the living to uh, produce um, self-care is seen as a luxury that you need to earn because we often think about self-care as a spa weekend a nice bath getting your nails done having a pedicure going for a massage we actually don't understand that self-care is actually meeting our essential needs but in the pursuit of productivity we get taught that our, our essential needs are an inconvenience and this happens from, you know, school. Mm. Children go from reception to year one 
and you are told to hold when you need to go to the toilet. And I'm not saying that children should get up any moment they need to, to go to the toilet, because sometimes they are messing around because that's what children are supposed to do. But what it creates is a very overt message that your bodily needs, that what you actually need to function as a human, be human being is inconvenient, gets in the way, means you're weak, means you're not strong, means you're not focused. Therefore, we learn to suppress what we need so we don't actually know that self-care is things like understanding who you are so you know what boundaries you need to have. Mm -hmm. Self-care looks like understanding yourself enough to be able to say to your admin person who schedules your meetings, for example, or your manager, I don't work well with back-to-back -back meetings. I actually need about a 10-minute break in between each meeting, mm -hmm. so therefore I I, I kindly, if you want to dress it up in a bow, I kindly request that I am given at least a 10 minute break in between meetings mm. so that I can be my best self when I'm in that meeting. Because people think, because people don't know that information about themselves, when they're asking, they don't know how to ask for what they need because they don't know what they need. So if you, so we often leave it to a point where we're really cheesed off and it's like, well, I can't take it anymore. I need a break. Break? What do you mean? You've got to work hard. Whereas if you're saying, actually, I have really taken the time to work out how I am uh, my most productive. And what I've realized is that I need this break in between, especially when we're in this Zoom era, because we're not in the office and people want to be scheduling back-to-back -back meetings. When you really understand yourself, that's when you begin to be able to advocate from yourself not from a place of frustration, but from a place of empowerment. And if you're going to your manager or your team and you're saying a 10 minute break allows me to bring my A game, who's going to say no? Yeah, why, why would you? Why would you say no? But people don't take the time to get to know themselves. And then also we're following all these people. We, we love a how-to, a one, two, three guide to, this is the A to Z roadmap to whatever. We don't, so we just wanna, we don't wanna do the work. We wanna blindly follow somebody else rather than take the time to get to know who we are and what we need. It's like we believe that A, we, we don't wanna be needy. We don't wanna admit we have needs because being needy means you're weak. Being needy means you're a human being. Mm. And B, when you actually take time to understand what your needs are number one there's a bit of sadness grief and anger because you recognize all the ways you haven't been meeting your needs then there's the frustration grief and anger because the people you were brought up by and the educational system conditioned you not to know how to meet your needs then there's the sadness that to a lesser or greater degree, because of that combination, your needs have been neglected up until this point. So there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of grief, and at times rage, like, oh my goodness, how could we not see this that you need to take care of before you get to the part where you actually have the data you need to understand what your needs are? And people are so frightened of that rage place they want to stay away from it because we've been conditioned to be good, especially women, to be good, to be nice, to be palatable. And what we don't realise, because we're not taught this, is that 
if you look at the um our autumn like our autonomic nervous system if you get to know how our autonomic nervous system works so our the most ancient part of our nervous system is the really like high level parasympathetic so that rest and di digest part of your nervous system but the most um ancient part is the shutdown place where we would hear a rustle in the bushes and we would just drop down and hide because we didn't know what that rustle in the bushes was the next branch of the um, autonomic nervous system to develop was the sympathetic nervous system, which is about activation, mm -hmm. fight, flight, we know that as, but that's yeah. like our starter motor as well. And then the most recent part of our nervous system, the part that really makes us the human beings we are, is the ventral part of the nervous system where we're able to have meaningful connection with people, we're able to zoom out and see the bigger context and be able to make empowered choices and we basically know that we're safe our conditioning makes it so that we have that shutdown phase and we have a lot of activity on top of that shutdown phase yeah. almost like um it's almost like that sympathetic freeze response it's keeping a really protective icy layer over all the stuff we shut down so on top of that we're being really really active but because we don't know what is down there mm -hmm. in that shutdown place, we do there, not right? have that. Well, not just we're scared to go there. We're constantly trying to get to this ventral place. We're constantly trying to self-actualize and all of that, but we're not able to sustain it because the weight of what we're shutting down pulls us back down. And we believe the only um, the only way out of that, and this is like classic over-functioning, overworking, high-achieving woman, the only way out of there is to be like in fight or flight mode all the time. But the thing is, when you make the conscious choice to actually start to become curious and start to investigate what is in that shutdown, like all those needs that have been relegated and abandoned, mm -hmm. That is conscious, you're conscious about the rage. So that sympathetic activity that we're used to, to fight and flight, to get what we want and prove ourselves. When we have that sympathetic activity because of rage, we get really scared of it. But how the autonomic ladder works is, shut down in order for us to get to that ventral self-actualizing beautiful connection place we need to go up the autonomic ladder you can't skip rungs of the ladder because you'll just keep sliding back down so when we have that conscious rage we don't want to be in sympathetic activity we hide from it so we're shutting down again so when we're making the efforts to try and get to that self-actualizing ventral place it's weighing us down because we don't realize actually we need to feel the rage we need to befriend the anger we need to take care of the grief because that is going to give us beautiful data about who we actually are what we need so we can meet ourselves where we are and make our way up that sympathetic ladder trusting and knowing that that rage that real whoosh starter motor sympathetic nervous system activity is necessary for us to get to that ventral place so that locking down bit sorry greg knew what he was getting when he called me on here hell yeah so that, <laughs> that 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 shutdown bit we want it to be something really exciting and sexy and extravagant oh it's a limiting belief oh it's an upper limit problem oh it's because these haters over there are sending me bad vibes but quite often 
what you will find is something that we will call basic. It's not basic, it's essential. So a lot of my work is guided by polyvagal theory. And uh, one of the first things of polyvagal theory is that your story follows your state. So the story of who you are follows your physical state. So picture this, because this is classic. This is me. <laughs> I can verify right? story. A busy high achiever. Yep. You're out there doing all of this stuff. You're feeling depleted, but the more you're feeling depleted, the more you're working because rather than understanding you're not resourcing yourself the way you need, that makes you feel too needy. So you try to work even harder. You're running on fumes. You're burning out the burnout. Like there's, there's cinders everywhere. Mm -hmm. So you might wake up not as sprightly as you want to because you're depleted. So that means you're probably pressing snooze a few times. You're not get it, getting yourself a decent breakfast. You might have fallen for the story that breakfast makes you feel ill or whatever thing we want to tell us, or you're used to just grabbing a coffee. So basically you've embodied neglect. You're used to neglecting yourself. So you're not starting your day with what it is you need to fuel yourself. Mm -hmm. Fuel crisis, we're, we're, we're queuing for miles for petrol, but we don't stand up for ourselves and queue for ourselves for what we need. So then you're rushing around working. You're really, it's a really busy day. You grab something for lunch. It might not be anything meaningful. And even if it is because you're so distracted, you're not even registering what you're eating. Then you have dinner. You might have a wholesome dinner, but by the time you've done all of that neglect throughout the day, that dinner's not enough, but you don't want to be greedy. You don't want to um, overeat. So, when your body is telling you you need more food, you say, well, I've had a plate of food. It was a big plate of food, so I'm not going to eat anything else. Not realizing that it's a cumulative impact of what's been going on in the day. So if you're not eating in a manner that's commensurate to what you need, the first thing your body's going to feel is, I'm in survival. So your physical state is that of survival. And that physical state is going to shape your perspective. It's going to shape your story of your life. Mm -hmm. So even if you've got really great success, you're never going to be able to appreciate it because you're embodying survival. Your, your, your actual physical body is in a state of survival. So then we think, oh, I'm lazy. I've got to exercise on it. So then you're just pumping your body full of adrenaline, cortisol, and you're wondering why your belly's getting bigger. You're eating less, you're working out, nothing's happening for you. So something that was game changing for me when I started to really collate data and part of that was working with you, Greg, was when I thought, well, actually, if you're feeling run down, tired, whatnot all the time, let's just take a real good look at what you're eating. And that is when I discovered that my eating patterns, my eating habits were very disordered. Mm -hmm. Some of that fueled by busyness, some of that fueled by growing up in an era where everyone and their mum, including mine, was doing cabbage soup diet, Jenny Craig, Slim Far. Everyone was always on a diet, always, always, yeah. mm -hmm. always on a diet. So the um, messages I see from that, so literally experimenting with, not judging or shaming myself, experimenting with what type of food I need to eat, the quantity of food I need to eat, when I need to eat it, 
And also for me, the ritual that goes along with eating it, actually taking the time and thinking, this is my meal plan for the three weeks and thinking, well, how do I want this food to make me feel? So before I eat the meal, because I know what's coming, because I've got my meal plan, which I used to think was going to be really boring. It's so freeing. Before I eat, I'm set. I'm like, this doesn't take long. My intention for this meal is to feel refreshed. My intention for this meal is to feel satiated. My intention for this meal is to feel comforted. Whatever it is I need to say, rest and digest for a reason. More time we're trying to eat when we're not rested, when we're not in a state where we can actually digest the food we're eating properly. My digestion has changed. My energy levels have changed. Even the fluctuations of my um, menstrual cycle don't have much of an impact now that I'm eating what I need to eat, how I need to eat it. And I even experimented when I got bored. I just thought, oh, sod it. I can let this slide. I can't. So now I know it's a non-negotiable for me. And I know that like I've known from time, but I love sugar. I love salt. I love spice, mm. but I can very clearly see because I've been tracking how I eat, what I eat and all of that stuff. I can very clearly see how sugar and salt impact my state yep. so there's no put like like really it's just like do you want to live good or do you want to feel good for that moment when that food is in your mouth and then after that it's not feeling good so that is the motivation it's not it's not punishment oh i'm not going to have that because it's naughty or i'm being good today i'm just being good is a lifestyle do you know what i'm saying like it doesn't right. mean i don't have these things but yep. i know what i'm doing when i'm doing it and i'm not re so there's many times i'm like I, 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 even now here I'm sitting with you, Greg, I could really do with balsamic vinegar and salt kettle chips. I could really do, I could really do with that. But instead I know, for example, for me, having this seeded bread that I showed you that I really like, having that seeded bread with some hummus and some avocado is gonna do far more for me than those crisps. I'm gonna get that energy that's gonna last longer I'm going to get the fiber and the good fats and all of that jazz rather than empty calories that are not really going to do anything for me. And that, that alone led to better sleep. Even when my sleep is broken, better sleep. The, that just changing the food alone has done far, far more than what we believe we can achieve via mindset. Oh yes. Cause satisfaction, if you feel satisfied, success, achievement, all of that, it just feels more meaningful because you're coming from this place of satisfaction so you can register what on earth is going on in your life rather than achieve that tick, run to the next, achieve that tick, run. I can actually, I can actually take in the moment. I, I absolutely love the work of Dr. Rick Hansen and he's got a really beautiful body of work called Taking in the Good. I can actually take in the good of what I've done. So it actually registers with me properly before I'm moving on to the next one. So I know the next one, it's not out of des desperation. It's not to prove myself. That's just how I live now. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, it goes up and down, but I've always got this place to come back to and remind myself, fam, you're not desperate. But so many people, like you said, are living in this desperate cycle. And they're trying to out exercise it because I see that a lot, you know. Yeah. Oh, Greg, I need to work hard in the gym. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. But that's yeah. what they feel that they need to do 
Mm-hmm. So it's all this extrinsic stuff rather than the intrinsic. Exactly. Do you remember when when um, we were training and um, you said to me, Tamu, you're not working out, you're working in. I was like, oh yeah, right, okay, let's do this. And that is the thing, we're always working out, whether it's with our exercise and our fitness or the actual work we do to create a living. And we totally forget that we do the work, whether it's the employment, whether it's entrepreneurship or um, working out, exercising, taking care of your nutrition. We do that to live better. Do you know what I'm saying? Like living shouldn't be secondary to doing. We do to enhance the living, the work, like a friend of mine was like, say what now? When I said, I believe that work should be part of our self-care because ultimately we work to earn money to take care of ourselves. And we are fortunate to be in a world and to live in a culture where we are have the infrastructure and we're civilized enough to be able to, for the most part, choose the work we want to do. Mm that we can say, okay, I know when I'm an adult, I need to make money and I like helping people. So I'm going to be a coach mm. and you can, you can actually do that. But we, we enter into this work life to support life. <sighs> do you know what? I need, I need a fan because there's, <laughs> there's so many bits and pieces. I'm like, can we talk about, no, no, no. We're talking about, so how do you help the ladies you work with move out of that state of must do, must do, must do to I want to do, or this feels good. How should you do that? Well, firstly, we need to, I don't work with people for short, well, in, in terms of our lifespan, it's a short period of time, but I don't work with people for short periods of time. So I don't do three month coaching programs and whatnot. My shortest coaching program is nine months. Generally, I work with people for a year because there's a whole load of um, accepting that needs to happen and then unlearning so you can relearn and begin to implement. Mm. I do have a um, seven week program, but that is a self-directed program for people that are accepting of where they are and they want to explore themes that are coming up for them in a finite way which is very different to um what i offer people in terms of making the changes you just referenced so it is firstly recognizing that you need to work with human beings in a human pace there's no point setting arbitrary time scales like it's a production line you're not a production line you need to take your time and in the beginning it, lots of my clients have said like this feels like therapy because it is very therapeutic there's a lot of talking that needs to be done to kind of like excavate so or, or yeah so that you're exploring what has formed your identity where that's come from and choose the bits you want to begin to hold you want to continue to hold on to um i trained in non-linear movement last year because i find it to be a really beautiful grounding somatic practice um, so with nonlinear movement, and there are, you know, many other somatic practices, but with this one in particular, I really like it because it's very intimate and it helps you start to really feel how you feel. Mm -hmm. So, um, one of my clients, she, uh, was, uh, um, had a new product that she wanted to launch 
and um, one of the the modalities in um, non-linear movement is a calling in practice so you're basically physically calling in with your body in whatever way that feels good to you and she was like i really tried but i just couldn't do it so i've got to face facts that i'm not ready whereas mindset will tell you to suppress that do it anyway feel the fear and what's it fear the fear and do it anyway and everything yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and what she was able to do was feel into the fact that she wasn't ready and because she wasn't ready she hadn't actually created the product she wanted to create and then she took her time and she's created something that was far beyond her expectation with me uh i talk about joy and pleasure and all that jazz all the time the first time I did the pleasure practice in the non-linear movement training, I was curled up in the fetal position for ages. I had to really coax myself out. It took ages before I could really enjoy that practice. And that highlighted to me that I had a very good cognitive mental sense of joy and pleasure, but actually allowing myself to feel it throughout my body and allowed that feeling to amplify, it was alien to me. So I, was, I couldn't handle it. It felt too much. I didn't deserve it. I don't know what this is. Um, so actually being able to register how it feels in my body got me to a place where I'm like, yeah, actually pleasure is my guide. People talk about, um, what's it like? Uh, uh focus discipline consistently consistency don't tell me about none of that i'm not interested i want to be in a pleasurable partnership with what i'm creating i want to really be uh, passionate about what i'm creating and i know passion wanes but when that passion and the um and the pleasure is so strong and so consistent and you're feeling it inside your body you're actually then devoting your time you're actually then able to be really committed so you're able to really show up for this thing rather than it's another task on a on a list of things to do which means you're working in partnership with life and you realize well actually this work is part of my partnership with life what sort of relationship do I want to have with the work? Do I want to continue to have my work being some kind of abusive partner or do I want to have a mutually beneficial relationship with the work? And you, you hit upon a point there where you, because everyone comes to you with, Tamu, I need to work on my self-love. Greg, I need to work on losing weight. And but just that phrase, that, that association with need is already coming from a place of survival. Is that my, is it just me or do you think the same? No, absolutely. So when my, when I begin to work with people, there's a lot of education that I share because our bodies remember, but our minds reject it because of how we've been conditioned. Like when you look at the, uh, I use somatic coaching a lot in my work. And when you think about it, these things we know it it doesn't feel convenient we don't like it because it doesn't mean that we can very quickly do this that and the other but we actually know it inside so bring your needs you're not a human being like we we've all got needs every species on this planet has needs whether it's flora and fauna to mammals and reptiles and whatever else we all have needs bring your needs your needs will always be there. But when you start to take most of our essential needs are known as deficit needs. When you start to meet those needs on a regular basis, 
they become less needy because they know they're going to be met. So if you're somebody like I talked about who had a problematic relationship with food, your body doesn't have to be constantly telling you, I want a snack, I want a snack, I want a snack, because you build that relationship whereby your body knows at these times of the day we get food. So I don't have to start, oh, I want a snack, I want a snack business because we know we're going to get the sustenance we need. Imagine a small child, a small child that doesn't have a routine, doesn't know if they're like, believes they're not going to be congratulated. They're not going to be acknowledged when they've done a good piece of work. They believe they're going to be shamed and chastised if they've done something wrong or made a mistake. They're not sure when the next meal is coming from. They're constantly hungry all the time. That's, that's us. That's what we, that, you know, that those needs we have is that needy quote unquote child. Yep. And if you continue to shame and admonish that child when it says, I'm hungry, I need this, you're going to get more of that. And that when you, when you treat children in that way, more often than not, they either shut down and pretend they don't have needs at all, or they become very uh what we call attention seeking and very challenging because their needs are not being met mm -hmm. so bring the needs take care of the needs the more you take care of the needs the less needy they become and the more you get used to be taking care of them it's a habit change you're mm -hmm. going against the grain of your conditioning so it's going to take you being really really devoted really dedicated really committed to even when you feel like it like i was very impressed in a workshop i did for my clients when i said you've got to take care of yourself because you want to be like it not just when you feel like it when you just feel like it that's random and I was watching some video, I think it was Brendan Bouchard or one of those really like coachy American people. He said, randomness creates mediocrity. Now, like when I heard that, I was like, Ooh. what? Ooh. I had to rewind it and listen again. <sighs> randomness creates <sighs> mediocrity. And the thing is, we're not talking about the arbitrary societal view of what mediocrity is. We mean mediocrity for you. Mm -hmm. And living in whatever mediocrity for you is, is dangerous. Um, there was some research done in positive psychology. Uh, and I'm so annoyed I didn't bookmark where I got this information from, but I remembered it because I made notes about it. Um, there was some research done um, in positive psychology. And it, sh it sh said that human beings, optimal functioning or optimal if uh, yeah optimal functioning is when we work um at 80 percent of whatever our physical and mental capacity is that's when we live optimally yeah so if you are consistently doing randomness and getting mediocrity it's gonna cause dis-ease inside yourself because you're wasting a lot of potential but also you are not working at the maximum, not the maximum, you're not working at the optimum level where your body is functioning as its best. So you're releasing what, like, you know, you're releasing what you no longer need. You're taking in what it is you do need. Instead, we work way under our optimal level, which means we're carrying a lot of energy that needs to be dispelled. Mm -hmm. That shows up as ADHD. How many adults do you know, Greg, who, now are being diagnosed with ADHD or they're exactly. talking about being diagnosed. Everybody with ADHD. is either on some spectrum or something. Everybody. And we probably are because 
the way we were brought up really dismissed anything that wasn't in whoever decided what is normal. But if you look at the amount of um, um, energy we hold, we live very sedentary lives. We have a lot of stress going on. We're not moving. We're not working in a way that allows us to release that. So you've got all of that pent up energy inside. That energy is going to be very, very distracting. So mm. even if you were somebody who was more than likely a child that um, was ADHD, I'm sure I would have been diagnosed with some mild level of ADHD when I was um, at school. Like the education system didn't suit me at all. But I think about now, the amount of anxiety I tend to carry when I wasn't, you know, thinking about all of these things and had this knowledge, no wonder I'm ADHD like, and then you've got all of that anxiety and it's very difficult to manage. So we want to numb it dorsal. We want to shut that down again in that, in that bottom of the autonomic ladder. How do we do that? We shut it down, um, in unhealthy ways by, uh, next episode, next episode, next episode on Netflix, scrolling, 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 or we have very sophisticated ways doing this course, doing this program, working with this coach, doing this training, like constantly, constantly ingesting something to suppress because we don't know um, any different. We don't know any better rather than be understanding. Actually, all of this is stuff that needs to be released. Mm. We are conditioned to stuff it down with more stuff, with consumerism, with consumption. Got to do another course. Got, got to speak to another mentor. Got to do another program. Yep, see it all the time in our industry. Not applying anything, not allowing yourself to integrate so that what you've learned, you're actually able to apply it to your life. That's too much hard work. And that means you're gonna to have to reconcile some of the stuff that's going on inside. So rather than actually take the time to apply, we just move on to the next. Next, what's the, what's the next course? Exactly, before you've, Greg, the amount of people I work with who are onto the next course before they finish the old course. And I'm like, yeah, did you finish the last bit? <laughs> I, get, I get that with training plans, right? I'm like, here's an eight week program. And by week four, people are looking for the next. I'm like, calm down. We haven't mastered the, the workout from the last one yet. Because maintenance is hard. Maintenance is boring. Maintenance doesn't have the same thrill of the brand new. Oh, this is so great. Look, I'm doing this work. I'm seeing the results. This is fantastic. And it's like, oh, what? I just got to keep doing this over and over again. Yeah, like how you brush your teeth over and over again. And you wash your hair over and over again. And you wash your body over and over again. And you clean your house over and over again. Like that is it. That is life. This notion we have that life's got to be big and exciting and boom, boom, bang all the time. That's not life. Actually, life is a nonstop series of boring events that are punctuated with excitement here and there. Like if you're really honest about it, anybody who is living a life of pure excitement and hedonism, they are running away from something and then they crash and burn and they look back and they're like, wow, there's been no meaning. There's just been running. Oh, wow. So much fire. And breathe, people. Anyone watching this back, you might have to play this whole episode back again a couple of times. So I've got one last question. Yeah. Because that hour was just... I know. How dare it? Gone. So we actually got a few questions. Well, number one, will you come back on, I guess, is the first one. Of course. Yeah, because I think we've got some unfinished business here. Yeah. But number two, during one of our training sessions, you talked about how everyone tries to separate the mind and the body. Do you want to just elaborate on that for people? Because I think that's a real, you know, we have this mindset thing here and we have the body down here. 
Well, it's a real shame because look, 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 look at you and I. Mm. You know, mind informs our brain or brain informs the mind. That's inside our body. Yeah. That our brain, our mind is inside our body. Like it's a biological, physical fact. Yeah. Our body, uh, so uh, in polyvagal theory, it's found that your body, like 80% of communication comes from body to brain. And then your brain computes that and sends 20% back down again mm -hmm. so you're like you're we're, we're alive like this skin is like a sensory it's like receptors yep you know we're sensing things all the time we we sense so much more than we are conscious about because if we were aware of everything we are sensing at one time we would be overwhelmed and we would probably die by the time we're 15 because it would just be be knackered it would be too much to process yeah but with the body, it's everything. With the mind, we can decide, I just want to be positive and keep batting away, batting away, batting away and being positive. With your body, you can't control it like that. So your, your entire history, yes, it lives in your mind, but you can train yourself, which we do, to focus on the parts we want to focus on. Mm -hmm. But your body's got everything, good, bad, indifferent. And when we start feeling how we feel, because we've been conditioned so much to rely on the mind and logic and what makes sense, anything that doesn't make sense, and that's part of the way we evolved, feels dangerous. We yep. don't know what this is. I don't know how to control it. Oh my goodness, it's gonna make me feel bad. I haven't got time for, a, I, I heard somebody say in a group coaching call, I haven't got time for a breakdown. I've got things that, I've got things I need to do. While she didn't have the breakdown, Yeah the things she wanted to do, the things she wanted to create, up to now, I still haven't seen it. So we were both in a, a coaching program together. We're in the same coaching group. And the things, this was in 2019. No, it wasn't. It was 2020. No. Anyway, it was over a year ago, whenever it was. She still hasn't done it. If you were just allowed yourself to feel what you were feeling and have the so-called breakdown you thought you were going to have with support, because she had the support of the coaching program at that time, she would have been able to take care of that, understand what's going on, understand what she needs, take care of what she needs, feel safe, mm -hmm. and then do what she's doing. When we focus on our minds so much, we make our bodies feel like, like they're an unsafe place. They're a place where we bury all this stuff we don't want to know about. And we start to look at our body as a taxi for the brain, like a vehicle. And that's when we get overly um, into, and this is part of our programming as well, but we're like overly into what our body can do for us rather than realizing that actually our body is always doing for us. It's not about what it can, like it's always doing for us. Doing for us right now. Exactly. Even when we're sleeping at all times, until we're dead, our body is doing for us. And I think that um, if you, we have been conditioned to believe that we need to control everything mm -hmm. and we can't control the sensations of the body, they, they occur as they're supposed to. And we don't like that. That feels like a threat to uh, uh, logic. It feels like a threat to intelligence. I was reading something um, that was saying... Uh, it was a study that was done and it's uh, intelligence. This is a really bad recollection of it, but intelligence is a series of events 
that happen and then our brain uses those series of events to predict what's going to happen next mm -hmm. so if we are if intelligence is using the past to predict the future we're in trouble because most of the time when we think about the past we think about it through rose-tinted glasses or muddy filthy glasses we don't really have a real sense if we can be present with the here and now what we feel and what we think and know that it's an ecosystem we think and feel together and um we are driven by our emotions and we make peace with that mm -hmm. and learn how to work with that we will stop talking about mind body connection because it's connected and we will stop focusing on mindset alone we will understand that when we begin to work with our body that shapes our mind that shapes our um nervous system and then the mindset we want to do we will be able to do it with longevity rather than what happens now where we're on this addictive oh my gosh i've got to do mindset work i've got to do mindset work i've got to do mindset work it becomes a natural way of being because it's working in harmony with our entirety rather than cutting ourselves off from the rest of our of who we are you know what that was a beautiful place to finish where can people come and find you to listen to more of your fire and to drop some you know to understand the knowledge that you have <laughs> um, uh, you can uh instagram is the best place yeah. So I'm at live360, live360, L-I-V-E-T-H-R-E-E-S-I-X-T-Y, um, live360. And um, I am going to be bringing my podcast back at some point this autumn. I'm not exactly sure when. So I'm going to ask you to come onto my podcast. Um, I've, I've revamped things and I've changed things a, quite a bit. Um, yeah, so just come and find me on Instagram and then you'll find out everything I've got going on because Instagram is my shop window. Awesome. Love it. Um, and yeah, we're talking background about coming back and dropping some more bombs and fire because that was beautifully eloquent, but powerful. I think people... that's me. I, I, I know this. <laughs> so ladies and gents, I know there's a few men that listen to this, um, hit the subscribe button, go and follow Tamu and, and really, it can really help you, definitely. There's been some things that she's made me think about recently as well. So, yeah, go follow. And we will speak to you soon. Bye.